Well, everybody, it's good to see you. Angela, you were, if you made it back, we saw you on Thursday. And uh, it's good to see you actually back. I hope that your trip was, was good. For those on the outside, we say hello. I see some that are there. I want to say greetings to you. <laughs> and want to... <laughs> I want you to know that we are thankful. I probably should get my glasses, but um, I'm going to see what I can do without them. I need to call Mother Simmons. I think Bridget's going to probably be bringing me a phone for Sister Shirley. Last week I had to, I had to end their call that Shirley was calling out to her husband, Jerry. Jerry! <laughs> Jerry! <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sorry that if I like to have fun, y'all just excuse me. Let me call. Let me call Mother Simmons. All right. Let me get to the place that I need to get to here. Oh, you got readers for me? Two fifty. That's no. Okay. I need glasses just to see these. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we are grateful to you, Lord, today for allowing us in this place. Our desire is that you will be honored, that the Savior of our soul will be exalted, that, God, you will be lifted up, that we will know and remember and understand that, that all praise, all glory and honor goes to you. What a privilege to be able to gather in this place today. We thank you for your goodness and your righteousness, your love and your mercy. We are always reminded that, God, it is not only hearing the word of God, but it is putting the word into practice. That we must walk out the message that we hear. And today we thank you for this tremendous privilege that you have given us. To hear the word, to abide by the word, and to worship you. We give you all the glory in the matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to give recognition to uh, Miss Lene Coleman, who came up, put the arrows down, put out and changed the board out front, takes your temperature, and if you're too high, she tells you you got to go home. Um <laughs> I want to let her know that we appreciate all that she's done. She has her husband that stands in the corner and fans himself even when it's 30 degrees below. Thank you, Brother Kevin. (laughs) We are indeed thankful. want to thank Alice who came on Thursday and did and took the other arrangements out, put up this beautiful arrangement here. This morning came and did this and just we've created some space in the modular in the back for her. Thank you, Stuart and Alice. Once I saw on Thursday, I sent a text to Stuart in the afternoon, said thank you all for doing such a, a wonderful job. Thank you. And just for your diligence and your your dedication for the pantry staff, for the ushers, for all of the executive staff, for everyone. Even on Thursday, we had a late delivery, and some of the people that come out to um, get food and support and help, they just did a tremendous job in setting things up. So I want to thank Angela and 
Who was the one that was helping you, Angela? Is that Lorraine. Yes, yes, Lorraine. So just so thankful for the help and the pantry staff just doing everything. Lily, who takes all the, the food to the various ones on Thursday and Saturday, and we're just full right now and can't take, you know, more individuals. Do you not know that it requires a lot to have a, a church operation moving? A lot of things that happen behind the scene that we just oftentimes don't realize and don't recognize and know, but it requires just a lot of effort. For that, I want to just thank Thank everyone. And what keeps this going is prayer. Thank you for the prayer group that prays during the week. I received a card this, this past week in the mail. A second card from a listener in Arvada, Colorado, a person by the name of JP. It's his initials. He sent us a wonderful message. They listen to the radio. We do a 15-minute radio message um, on Sundays at 7.30 our time, 8.30 there's Mountain. And he sent us a note saying how he appreciates the word of God being preached and thanked us for preaching. And he did this two months ago, the same thing. I sent him a note, a letter, and he said, I want to thank you for the letter. And I added in there, did you hear me give you recognition? He said, sent in this previous message, he said, I did hear your acknowledgement. And he says, it looks like we may be heading for some dark days ahead, so while I, while I can, let me include this gift to you. And he did that. So we are just thankful that during this pandemic that uh, we have a person that supports. Radio ministry is very expensive, and God has allowed us just to be on the line and on the air, and so we are thankful to share the word of God. I know I say it all the time that in this church we won't compromise the word of God. And I think that it's so very important that we adhere to the word and that you are careful to carry out and to do what the word says. No matter who would offend, we have to be mindful. We have to be mindful that who we speak to and how we do it, but we don't compromise the word. We tell truth and we give truth. As the Lord dictates and says in your Bibles, I'm going to read today from first Timothy chapter five. And you, if you don't have it, you can follow us up on the on the screen here. We'll have the scripture today up on the screen. First Timothy chapter five. I'll be reading verses today, nine through 14, even though I asked Don to put nine through 13. I decided to add an additional verse there. I want to welcome Jerry and uh, Shirley Gray um, on the line today as well. This is how it reads. Verse 9, 1 Timothy 5, 9. Little widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips, gossips and busybodies. Go, oh, Paul, wow. Saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry 
their children manage their household and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Correction, encouragement, and responsibility, part three. Whenever we think of widowhood, we know that a death has occurred. In the church at Ephesus, widows were a part of the congregation, and because of problems that had arisen, abuses and potentials, potential for abuse, and the potential, I should say, for abuse, Paul had to give structure and, and instructions to Timothy how widows needed to be responded to and how they needed to be handled. I find it interesting that structure must be the part of any organization. If you don't have a, a, some type of structure in, a, in an organization, you will actually run into major chaos. You're going to have chaos if there's no structure. If everyone wants to just do as they want to do. Paul had to address this issue because evidently it had become a problem in the church. Even widows were targets for those that were in the church of Ephesus. Some of those that were teaching false doctrine had even targeted the widows. And in fact, you will discover in the Gospels that the Lord had to confront the religious leaders because some of them were swindling uh, some of the widows out of their homes. You know it's something when leadership in the church will swindle you out of your home. But in the church, some of the leaders were doing this. Now, sometimes you got to be very careful because when you get a phone call that sounds too good to be true, it is. And some people today will call and give this wonderful story to seniors and elders, and they will sometimes swindle people out of their life savings. Hmm. Everyone in the church of Ephesus could not be put on the role of a widow, those that qualified. But it is important to note that Paul gave Timothy instructions of what needed to take place. Paul is not one, nor is he timid, about handling difficult situations. We have dealt two weeks ago with two points, and last week was our third. Two weeks ago, the first point that we dealt with was don't forget you are dealing with people, as I gave you last week, and family responsibility. Last week, the third point that we dealt with was a widow and prayer. We looked at the widow in the days of Elijah, and we looked at Anna in the New Testament when Christ was born and was brought to the temple. Today, we're going to look at a fourth point called good works on display. First Timothy 5, 9. And again, it reads, Little widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. When you look at verse number 9, it actually reverts and looks back to verses 3 and 4 of this chapter. So when you see verse 9, you would want to go back and reread verses 3 and 4. Paul has already outlined what the expectation is for family members. Family members do not get off the hook just because they are adults 
and their mom may be a widow or their father a widower. So you don't get off the hook. And then Paul again addresses this matter in verse 8, right before 9, and again in verse number 16 of this chapter. Now Paul gave a, a, an age of 60, as in antiquity, this is when a man and a woman were considered to be old. They were less likely to marry. And so Paul gives 60 as the number for Timothy to use when determining as point number one, if a widow that was in need could be included on the road. There was no restrictions on remarrying after 60. But generally speaking, those after 60 may have made the decision that they were going to give their full service to the Lord, even though Paul did not prohibit, nor does God prohibit that. Now, it is interesting, and we want to keep in mind and note, that the widows had to be vetted. There is nothing wrong with vetting people. You know, there's a problem when a person does not want to answer questions, And they're trying to do things on the sly. Don't want you to see what they're doing. It's a problem. And you can almost be assured that something fishy is going on. So Paul says, be sure to vet the widows. And just don't put them on the list just because they're 60. But there's some things that he's going to require. You see, one of the things that you've got to recognize that we as people can be very, very messy. Oh, Lord, help me. Let me help me not to go there. Help me not to go there. (laughs) Before you came to the Lord, for those who have accepted the Lord as Savior, there was a lifestyle you used to live. You haven't always been a saint. You haven't always had the halo above your head. You haven't always had wings flapping When you walk down the street and people say, oh, look at that angel of the Lord. They may have said a few other things, but angel was not one of them. And in fact, when you came to the Lord, they said to themselves, I'm going to watch that person to see if it's really true. (laughs) You see, when a person was put on the roll of a widow, there were the requirements that Paul outlines in, in the verses that we'll just briefly look at. But the other thing that you need to note is just because a person may have been a widow did not exclude them from being able to be helped, but they would not necessarily be placed on the roll, but they could still get help. The matter of one husband that Paul mentioned does not seem to be that she was only married one time. Many of the commentators are going, have gone back and forth, but there seems to be a consensus among many of the theologians that when Paul mentioned that she was to be the husband of one, the wife of one husband, you can even reflect back to when Paul spoke about the elders that he had to be the husband of one wife. In other words, in the Greek, it literally means A one-woman type of man. He is referring to the time of when she is married. In other words, when she was married, was she faithful to the husband? Not that she was married only one time. So he is speaking here 
of faithfulness within the marriage relationship. You see, if there was an issue with being married more than one time, Paul would not have said to the younger widows that you need to remarry and raise your own children. He goes there. If this was the case, he wouldn't have said that. If she did remarry, and in fact, if her second husband had even died, let's say a, a widow had married a person, a widow had married a husband, he passed, married again, and he passed. It did not prevent her from marrying even a third time. Now, within the Jewish culture and many of the individuals at this time, they look down on remarriage, and so they may tolerate a single marriage or being married again, but definitely not being married a third time, regardless of the situation. Paul does not go there necessarily in his discussion, but he does not forbid. The requirement that he gives in another passage in 1 Corinthians is that, and even though it's a different passage, and, and, and he's dealing with a different point. His main point is that if a person is a believer and then remarries, they should marry and need to marry another believer. As I mentioned, just like the elder, Paul gives a similar instruction to the widow that she was to be faithful, even as he did to the deacons, as we had looked at earlier. Now, as I said, some commentators have a difficulty in believing that when Paul says the husband of one wife or the wife of one husband, that if she was to be married, it only meant one time. Some still would have some still believe that's what he was saying. But for the most, many of the theologians say, no, that's not the case because of what Paul discusses. Uh, Let me say this. When you look at marriage and remarriage, the church and the culture have at times a different belief when it comes to marriage. But let me also just say this. Marriage is not the invention of man. Marriage is the creation of what God established from the garden in the in the Garden of Eden. It was from the very beginning. So when we look at this aspect of marriage, if a person marries, they have not done anything wrong. There was some even in the church that Timothy is dealing with that was saying that marriage is wrong. How can that be when God laid it out from the very beginning and Paul being an apostle clearly teaches it and even the apostle Peter was married. So we must make sure that when we read scripture that we are reading it correctly. Paul again makes sure that, tells Timothy, make sure that you follow these instructions. In verse number 10, he goes on to say, in having a reputation for good works, he's speaking of widows, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. When he talks about children, he's not talking about necessarily her own children because some of the widows may not have had children. He is speaking about generally if she was one to help care for orphans, children that didn't have parents. If she did have children, how did she take care of her own? But he expands this matter of children to include not just children of her household, but those that may have been orphans. Showing hospitality. 
Hospitality in this matter would not just be those in her neighborhood, but people that would be coming from out of town, those that would be Christians, and the travelers that would be going from place to place, maybe sharing the word of God. Was she one that showed hospitality? Now, what Paul is not doing, listen carefully, he is not listing these out as saying that she had to do these things, because what Paul says a little bit later and has devoted herself to every good work. He is saying that these are some of the things that she may have been doing. Not that she has had to do all of these, but she has been in the habit and in the practice of carrying out good works and deeds. Hospitality to strangers. He goes on to say even the washing of feet. This does not seem to be dealing with the ordination when Jesus told his disciples. And when he first, you remember when he washed the disciples' feet? It does not seem to be dealing with that, but it seems to be dealing with the, the culture so that they understood when people would travel, they oftentimes would travel and it would be very dusty. And the custom was, if a person came into your house, one of the tasks of the person that was hosting was to take water and to wipe and to wash off the dust from the traveler's feet, to give them a holy kiss and to anoint their head with oil. So when Paul mentions the matter of washing feet, he's not speaking in the sense of the ordination, but he is giving the things that one would do for a traveler that came into the house when he mentions the washing of the feet. I want to read a passage in the book of Luke. Sister Michelle you would get that for us. Chapter 7 of Luke, verses 40 through 50. Some of the religious leaders had a real problem with people who were still in sin. And the Lord had to confront an individual who looked down on a woman that had entered a house and began to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and to wipe her tears, his feet. And the tears that had fallen on her feet, on his feet with her hair. Luke chapter 7 verses 40 through 50. I'll just read it right from the board. And this is how it reads. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Because Simon had thought in his mind, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know who's touching him. And he answered, say it, teacher, go on, speak. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. One denarii would be the equivalent of a day's wage. Owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now the question Jesus asks, now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he, meaning Jesus, said to him, you have judged or answered rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Simon being the host and a big shot religious leader. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Let me say this. When a woman would let down her hair, it oftentimes meant that she was loose or maybe a prostitute. But here she does it in a public setting in the sense of came into the house and let down her hair regardless and did not care what the other people may have thought to honor Jesus. 
He said, you gave me no kiss on the cheek or a friendly kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my hair with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who was forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Jesus turns to this woman, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him, those that were around the table that had been invited or come to this house, began to say or murmur among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The guest was to anoint the head of the person that came to dinner, Jesus being the invited guest, give them feet, give them water rather to wash their feet, and ointment. This woman did it in such a humble state and a humble way that Jesus says the very fact of your act shows that you have a change of heart and says your sins are forgiven. When Paul mentions that the widow cares for the visitors and washes the feet, and he he is saying that she is in the habit of doing good qualities. The Lord looks at this, what this woman did, and he blessed her. Paul, in following up, says that a widow that is doing good deeds should be honored. Those that are really in need, does not have family members, can be put on the list. Her life must be characterized. And be seen by others by doing things that are good. Again, remember, the list are examples, not necessarily everything that's there that she had to do. So we see in this narrative here, good works on display for Timothy. So we see that once she had to be 60, the second criteria is that she had to carry out these good deeds. So remember... It's not like, well, I did one thing, can I get in? No. (laughs) There are some people who want points, and they have not completed the job. He says that the age is one, and secondly, the good works. Let me move on. Point number five, everyone does not qualify. Everyone does not qualify. That would be starting in 1 Timothy 5.11. He says, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. The contrast is significant, and we see that conjunction, but. Paul states here the criteria for the widows, but for those that are younger. The age requirement for widows was 60. If they didn't meet that threshold, Paul says, Timothy, do not put them on the list. Even though they may be able to be helped by the church or the body, they're not to go on this special list. It was a special list. In verse 12, there may have been a pledge, some believe, to stay committed to doing the work in the temple. In other words, they were considered to be married to God. But Paul says the problem that he had noticed and that Timothy needed to be aware of, that some of the widows that had maybe dedicated themselves, they had in fact decided that, oh, I I don't want to stay and, and continue to do this. I want to remarry. Now, Paul wasn't putting it down, but he says the problem is that it sets a bad example. 
And so what he then says is that what you need to do, Timothy, set the criteria and those that are younger, encourage them to remarry. Now, Paul goes through a very tough situation. Why? Because evidently what had began to happen was that some of the individuals that had been put on the list or that was receiving this type of support weren't qualified and they were causing havoc in the community. They were going from house to house causing trouble. And not only that, they were preventing people that should have been working and doing good things. They were preventing them from doing it. And so Paul says they become idlers and busybodies doing things that they should not. So he says, in order for them to be productive, I encourage the younger widows to marry and to be responsible of raising their own children and their families so that those that are really in need can be helped. Uh, let, Let me say this. Some people believe that the church has a responsibility to help everyone without setting limits, and that is not true. What do I mean? If the church does not have the ability to vet people, how will they at times know whether they're being scammed? It doesn't mean that the church will not be, but questions have to be asked. I tell you this, there was one individual, and I'm going to close in just a few minutes and have to pick up in two weeks. Sister Michelle will be preaching on this next Sunday. I was working in Oakland, getting my degree in, in counseling, and down on 98th Avenue, East 14th Street in Oakland, there was a counseling center there, and oftentimes I would go out to get my lunch. So one of the days I would sometimes see this individual. As I'm walking past, he says, do you have any money? I stopped and asked him, is he hungry? I said, there's a Kentucky Fried Chicken right there. I am more than willing to go there with you and buy you some food. He was not happy. (laughs) And he so let me know. I didn't ask you to buy me some food. And went on this tirade. Now, I could have just turned around and go, oh, well, and walked away. But I decided I'm going to engage him. And so as he said a few other choice words, I said to him, "Uh, I'm willing to help you, but I'm not giving you any money. Now, if you're hungry, I'll still take you to get something to eat. And then we started talking and come to find out that he used to go to church. And as we talked about 15 minutes, his whole tone and attitude changed. I didn't get upset and say, well, back to you. But I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to share. The whole scene changed. When I was about to go inside, he didn't even ask me for any more money. He didn't even worry about the food. But he then parted saying, thank you and see you later. Now, you're not obligated to give everyone something just because they ask. But there may be times when the Lord may prompt you to do it. And he doesn't say, he doesn't tell you to look and see if you may be taken advantage of. Sometimes the Lord just says, help them. 
Because the Lord said, and there's something in your spirit that you know you are to help. One final thing as I close. There was a lady in um, Roner Park. I was driving by, and I heard the Holy Spirit speak in my spirit. says, go give her some money. I had $5 in my pocket. I went around the corner where the Home Depot parking lot is in Roner Park. I parked my car, ran over the grass to where she was walking real slow on the street. And I handed her the $5 because I knew the Lord had spoken to me. When I gave her the money, I just said, may God bless you. And she was so appreciative. Sometime later, within the next few days, I happened to be talking to my sister Frida and told her what the Lord had said to me. And she says, what? And described the lady. She says, I saw the lady in Petaluma and the Lord told me the same thing. And I stopped and got out the car and gave her money. The exact same lady. And here we are blown away by what God. And she was in the parking lot of the grocery outlet in Petaluma where she saw the Lord says, go give her some money. She and I had never talked about it, never even spoken about this person. But it was the same person. That we helped in two different places. When the Lord encourages you to do something and to stand up for him, you may be asked to help someone that you would not even think about helping. And then there are some people to where you in your spirit says, no, I am not to help at this time or in this way. But you must be sensitive. And so what Paul wants Timothy to do in the church is to be sensitive to the needs But use discernment when you help and when you serve. And I'm going to end right there just because of the time. But in this conclusion, Timothy has a very hard job because Paul has been laying out some very difficult things for him. And says, Timothy, you are the one that has to carry it out. And so in the pastoral letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, We find these incredible teachings and these words to these pastors of what they need to do, even though it would be difficult and they had to confront it. And let me tell you this, as a believer, you are required to deal with and handle some very difficult situations, but God is calling you to do it. Hmm. Correction, encouragement. And responsibility. Brother George, if you would come, get ready. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the word and thank you for helping us. We recognize that when we think of widowhood, we know that a death has occurred. We know that there's oftentimes long-standing pain. And we recognize that there is often a need that may even go unspoken. But we thank you that, Lord, by your marvelous hand, your marvelous nature, you prompt the church and individuals. We thank you that you have given the church the responsibility to help people, to share spiritually and physically, to be able, Lord, to help meet the needs. Because, God, we remember that it is you that we are serving. So we love you today and we magnify your matchless, your glorious name. May we remember that what we do on this side of eternity 
matters for all eternity. And that, Lord, no act of service will ever go unrewarded. May we remember that our service unto you is seen by you. And we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We bless you in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.